Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach, Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Pastor Paul is, I, I look back to when, in 1978, I'm going to tell this really fast. My mother was a drug addict. We were just people that had no hope. And I'm looking at this church, and I'm seeing the growth in people's lives, and I'm seeing what God's doing. I, I thought back to that. I had something else to say, but I, I really thought back to 1978 when my family, my mother, came off the streets, went into this little church building, and gave her life to Jesus Christ. You know, we don't know what God has for us in our futures. You don't understand it right now because you're just enjoying life, and you're just going through life, and you're just making it. But, you know, all these years later, 45 years later, I look back and I look at the examples in my life, and I look at Pastor Paul, and I honestly tell you the truth, you have been such a, a blessing and an inspiration in my life, where there's been no compromise at all. But 45 years ago, when I came in that little building with my mother, she almost didn't let us come to church with her because we were aliens, amen? But she finally let us come, and we came into that revival service, and it was Pastor, it was Pastor Paul's dad, Pastor Ron Jones, who's my father-in-law, he's my brother-in-law, and they, they were... His dad was there. He was preaching this revival, and we got saved. And I'm telling you what, God did something amazing in us. And my mother has been saved and serving in that church since that day. Amen. She has been faithful. And my dad, she got married. And God's just done an amazing thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say this. I am so grateful that there has never been any compromise. Listen, ministry's tough. You know, when you're going and you're pastoring and all these years of pastoring, you don't see pastors go longer than 20 years sometimes. They, they, they're done. You know, they go 20 years and they just throw in the towel and they say, I'm going to retire. Amen. And I, see, I look back at Pastor Ron Jones and he's, he's still in ministry. He's still preaching. He's still traveling the world. But I look at Pastor Paul and I just want to say, what a, what a blessing you have been to my life. You and Emily both. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have gotten married to Deonza. It's just the way it was. I was a little, I was rough. I was rough around all the edges, and they were on my side. And I'm so appreciative of that. Thank you so much. Let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor Paul as he comes and ministers to us tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I thought he was going to tell something embarrassing about me. I mean, no, when you got close friends, they know the dirt on you. Because we used to run around and get in trouble. And, and uh, we was telling somebody last night, breaking into houses and doing bad stuff. And thank God for his mercy. You say, you, you really got in trouble and did stuff like that? Sure we did. We were sinners. Amen. And I, he's got lots of dirt on me, but I got dirt on him. Amen. Thank God he's, he's a redeemer. God's a redeemer. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want you to just write down three words. Three words. I'm going to preach a message on miracles tonight, but write down three words. Power, authority, and dominion. If you're taking notes, power, authority, and dominion. Three things that have been given to us that every one of us needs and needs to exercise in our lives. And it's not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because of who Jesus is. Amen? Without him, we're nothing. Look at somebody and tell them, without him, you're nothing. 
Amen. T- just look at the other person, t- that your second choice, tell them you're not that smart. I know some of you are happy to tell your wife or your husband or your kids. Amen. We're not that smart, are we? We need, God, we need a lot of God's help. And I want you to remember those words because it is because of who he is that we're able to see the kinds of miracles back in Jesus' day. The things that Jesus did, he's still doing miracles today. He hasn't run out of miracles. He hasn't exhausted all opportunities and all hope, whatever thing you might be facing. Or maybe there's a battle that you're going to be going into. You haven't even met it yet. To remember those words that power, authority, and dominion are ours. You never have to pray for somebody saying, Lord, if it's your will. How many have heard that before? And if you've said it, it's all right. He forgives you, but don't pray like that anymore. Lord, if it's your will, heal so-and-so. Everything that was done at the cross is his will. You already know that, right? Everything that was accomplished for us is his will. You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to eat Cheerios or, or uh, you know, Wheaties or whatever it is that people eat nowadays? No, but when it comes to healing and miracles, you never have to pray that. It's always his will. Salvation is his will. Healing is his will. It's what belongs to us, and everything that was done at Calvary is for us to enforce now. For us to receive it. For us to know that it's him that does the healing, him that does the miracles, him who gives the power. It's not this little finger right here. When somebody gets healed, people say, well, I prayed for so-and-so and they got healed. It wasn't because of this finger right here. Some people think when, they, when somebody gets healed, like Pastor Jones says, they're going to tell everybody, come and see the magic finger, the finger that lays hands on people. People get a miracle, they put their name in lights, you know. No, it's not because of, of anything, and there's no power in me. The power is his, and the authority comes from him. All we're doing is enforcing that authority that is already, like Pastor John said, been given to us from the cross and at Calvary, and dominion is something that is exercised. Dominion is something that we establish, that when we come into a room, God comes in the room with us. If we go somewhere, when you go to your job on Monday morning, God's going with you. There's dominion that goes with you. Every house I've moved into, we pray over that house. We lay hands on it. My kids anoint anoint the door frames with oil. I went into my daughter's room. She wasn't very old. She might have been 12 years old. I, I, I thought, what's going on in here? She had anointed every wall with oil. What was she doing? She's establishing dominion in that place. Whatever happened in this place before, whatever's gone on here before, I'm establishing the presence of God. When I come in there, God's going in there with me. And in fact, he goes ahead of me. Amen? I want to ask you a question. It's a question that God asks in the Bible. And the question is this, is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? That's what the Bible says. And when God starts asking questions of man, it's one thing for us to say to God, God, is there anything too hard for you? But God asks us. Genesis chapter 18, do we have Genesis 18 and 14? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. You remember the story where she had, they had been praying for a child. She couldn't have children. God had given her a promise. 
He'd given her a word. And the question that he asks Abraham, is there anything too hard for God, for the Lord? When God starts asking peanut brain Abraham, when he starts asking somebody like you with your, your puny peanut brain, I'm not trying to be insulting here tonight, but sometimes we think we're smarter than God. We think we know better. God says to us, is there anything that is too hard for me? You might see that you're facing an impossible situation, a difficult thing, a sickness in your body, something nobody else knows about. Maybe you've Googled it and you think you know what's going on. But God says, is there anything that is too hard for me? When God starts asking questions to, to a finite person, an infinite person, right? God's infinite. We can all agree with that, right? He's, he knows all things. He's in every place at every time. He's able to do all things. When God, who is infinite, starts asking a finite person something like that, something supernatural is about to happen. Because every time he's asked questions in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, something supernatural took place right after that. He, he asked Ezekiel. He says, can these bones live? He's asking a, a human being something that is impossible. Can these bones live? If you remember, he asked Ezekiel. You know what Ezekiel did? He did the smart thing. He, he answered like this, Lord, you know. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He said, Lord, you know. I don't know, but you know. He asked the disciples, he says, do you have, any, you have any bread? All these people are hungry. Everybody's hungry here. We got thousands of people, and they're just waiting to eat. You guys got something? What do you got? Bring me, bring me something to eat. You got something to eat? You know what they did? They pulled their pockets inside out. They started looking at each other. Did you bring something? I didn't bring something. Did you bring something? They started looking at each other. They're trying to uh, uh, evade the question. What was Jesus doing? He was stirring them up. He was about to show them something supernatural in their life. And God is asking us, I believe, tonight that we, are, we need to answer that question. Is there anything too hard for God? It needs to be resolved in our heart because you'll never pray for a miracle. You'll never pray and seek the answer if you, know the, if you don't know the one who gives the answer. Unless you know, I told our church last week, I was preaching on the name of Jesus, and I told him, unless you know the rewarder, you'll never seek him for the reward. Unless you know he's Jehovah Jireh, he's the provider, he's the one that supplies every needs, he's the one that said, Where, what are we going to do? They said, all we have is this little boy's lunch. It's just a lunch. There's not much to it. He said, that's enough. He took it from them. What did he do? He blessed it. And then he handed it back to the disciples. And they began to distribute it. They, understand, they learned a valuable lesson right there. There's nothing that is too hard for God. There's nothing that's impossible for him. He's a supernatural God. He's a faithful God. And there is nothing that is too difficult for him. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's, the, he's Jehovah Rapha. That word, Jehovah Rapha, does anybody know what that means? He's our healer. He's the one that takes those bitter things. If you go back and you read, they had faced the, they found some bitter waters, and Moses touched that water, and it became sweet, and God did a miracle. He takes the bitter things of life and makes them sweet in our life. He's, the, he's Jehovah Shalom. Shalom means peace. He's the God of our peace. I mean, is there anything more important today that people need? You can't, you can't buy peace. 
I mean, even if you even if you go to the farthest parts of the earth, you, you're gonna you follow yourself there. You're still there, right? There, you cannot know peace from God unless you have peace with God. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God our peace. And so he's a God, he's Jehovah Nisi. Remember that word, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner? When they, Moses is up on this mountain and he's standing up there and the children of Israel down in the valley and they're, they're fighting against these people called Amalek, the Amalekites. And the Amalek is fighting. Joshua's down there and Moses, when he lifts up his hands, they start to win. When he puts his hands down, they start to lose. I don't know how long it took before he kind of put two and two together and he thought, wait a minute, if I put my hands like this, they win. Well, I think I'll just keep my hands up all the time. But then his, his arms get tired, and two guys come and stand, and they, they hold his arms up. But he says, I will be Jehovah Nisi in your most difficult time, in your most crucial battles. He said, I will step in and supply and meet every need. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? There is not. There's nothing too hard for God. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. I'm not going to keep you here all night, but that's just my introduction. We're going to pray for needs, and we're going to pray for miracles. How many need a good miracle? You need something. You need God to do something in your life. You know what? You're in the right place tonight. Jesus is going to touch you. He's going to help you. He's going to, he's going to minister to you tonight and work a miracle in your life. And I believe if you, if you want a miracle, you'll get a miracle. If you need a miracle, you can have a miracle. In Matthew chapter 8, we read about a man by the name, well, it doesn't give, him his, give us his name, but he's, he's a man that has leprosy and needs a miracle. I'm telling you, a miracle is a place where God inserts himself into the everyday circumstances of your life and does what is humanly impossible. He inserts himself into the everyday circumstances of your life and does something humanly impossible. It's supernatural. It's natural to him because that's his nature, right? It's supernatural because it's not our nature. We don't understand it, but it's natural to him. And that's the world we ought to live in. That's the way the disciples, that's in the New Testament church, it wasn't just supernatural. It was natural. They were used to it. It was something that they came to be accustomed to because they walked in the, in the authority and the dominion and the power that had been given to them as a church. If there's any model that we need to have in our lives, it's not YouTube and whoever else is doing what around the world. It is the New Testament church. He's given us this as a model. If you want to see what the church ought to look like, you, you go back to the book of Acts. And you read, and it just sparkles from beginning to end with miracles, one after another. Things that you're not seeing in, 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 the, in the world even today. You see supernatural things. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing... You can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those that have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you 
have been cleansed. When you look at the miracles that Jesus did, he did not do them for his own benefit. He did them to point to, G to God Almighty. He was pointing to God. They were to give glory to God the Father. And there were not, not a few opportunities like this. There were many opportunities. There were many needs. You think, how can, he, how can he do those things, all these things? It was the authority that had been given to him by God the Father. He was God in the flesh. It says in John 21 and 25 that Jesus did many other things if they were all written down. I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. What you get and what I get when I have my Bible and I start reading through the New Testament, the Gospels, and I see the miracles that Jesus did, what we get is a very small window of his miracle working power. How, many, how much time did he have in ministry? Anybody know? Three and a half years. He, he had time, he had a little window of opportunity, and then he was going to the cross. And, it's, and there was a man by the name of J.W. McGarvey, he observed that all the incidents of Jesus' earthly ministry recorded in John's gospel, just John's gospel, occupy only 25 days. All the miracles that Jesus did, 25 days. And then if you count the, the final week, that's 30 days out of, out of 1,260 days of ministry. Just 30 days. All you're getting is a little picture of what Jesus did. That means that there are so many other things. And, and the Bible says he, everywhere he went, he healed all who were, were oppressed. All who were afflicted, all who were sick, all who were dealing with something. There's, a, there's a, a miracle that is available to us. And for him, it was as natural as breathing. He didn't carry around tracks. He didn't need to. He was the track. Right? He was the message. He didn't have to hand anything out. Everywhere he went, he just prayed for people. The disciples didn't even have to do that. They just prayed for people. Somebody said that, that miracles are the dinner bell of salvation. And when people start getting healed and people start getting touched and healed in their body, I'm telling you, it, it begins to spread. People be, begin to talk about it. What happened to you? Oh, I was, I was, uh, I was at, on the job and somebody prayed for me and I got healed. I was at church. Somebody prayed for me and I got healed. That is the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has just finished giving the Sermon on the Mount where he's preaching on, on the seeds that are going into the ground, and he's preaching on, on marriage and divorce and all these different things. And then, he, and then he, he, he gives us all of these things, and it's like almost like he's a, he's a quarterback throwing a football. And when that ball, if for those that are into sports, and maybe you saw Colorado get their, their bus beat today by Oregon, but for all those people that, that, that like football, he, that quarterback releases that football. Once it's gone, it's gone. Now it's on the, on, on the part of the receiver. That receiver, it, now it's his turn to step up. God gives it to us. Jesus gives it to us. And now we're on the receiving side. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? And we hear this message and we hear the, the possibilities. And, and here's this, this sermon that's being preached. And Jesus has just delivered it. And, and the and, and the scripture says, out of nowhere, suddenly, here comes this leper. He, somehow he snuck in there. That's, this ain't right. It's not right that he did this. 
because lepers don't have that luxury. Lepers don't just suddenly pop up in the middle of the crowd and, and start talking to Jesus because technically they're supposed to be outside. They stay outside the city. They stay outside the group. They announce themselves before they even get close that way that anybody that, that wants to get out of the way can get out of the way. And that's the, that's the protocol. But this guy wasn't, he wasn't observing any protocol. Protocol goes out the window. Suddenly, he steps in, and he sees Jesus, and he, and he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, if you're willing, he just says it like that, if you're willing. Sometimes we wonder, does God want to heal me? Is he overlooking me to heal somebody else? I mean, we know that he can, but is he willing? He says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. I was over in Liberia when I was 18 years old. We were in, in Africa. We went from, from the, the east side of, of Africa all the way in Kenya. We were there for a little bit. This is before I got married uh, back in 1988. There on the east side. Then we went to Central Africa Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, which is now Zaire, or it was Zaire, now it's DRC. And we were there for a little while. And then, and then we jumped over to Liberia. And in Liberia... They had a, there was a dictator in Liberia. Ugly things happened in Liberia. After we left, after, we were there just for a little bit of time. After we left, I mean, all hell broke loose. But we happened to be able to go to a place called Banga. It was just north of Monrovia. And uh, uh, do you remember any of that, Dionza? You remember some of that? And we went to a place called Banga. Banga had a leper colony, Firestone trees, Firestone tires had these trees, these rubber trees. And they, they, were, they had the sap, the rubber, they, they had, it was a spiral that would come down this tree, and they had a, a cup at the bottom, and that, that rubber would roll down in, and they, they'd take that, they were showing us how it would, they could take that rubber out of that little cup and, and make a little ball out of it, roll it into a ball just like that. And the people that were working at that, that rubber plant or that rubber uh, plantation were lepers. People that, I mean, they're covered in leprosy. Leprosy, is a, it's a, it destroys your body. There are still cases, although it's very small, just a couple hundred a year in the, in the United States, but there are still cases of leprosy in the United States. Back in the 40s, somebody came up with the cure and began to eradicate this, this disease. But at this time, it was, it was deadly, and it still is deadly. There's still probably two million people, many of them in India, that, that are dealing and living with leprosy. But it was, a, it was a deadly disease. Leprosy in the Bible is indicative of sin. It's like, a, it's like sin in a person's life. This guy had, had this leprosy. He, nobody, nobody wanted to touch a leper. You don't touch a leper because if you touched a leper, you were likely to get that same disease and you would have that. But the Bible says that this man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, if you are willing. And the Bible says that Jesus, he didn't, he didn't do like a lot of people say, you know what? Let me just pray for you, but I'll pray for you over here, for over here. Let me, you stay there, I'll stay here. You know, we used to think that, uh, people used to think that HIV was contagious. If you touch somebody that had HIV, you might get HIV. Anybody remember that? And that was back, that was back, I don't know when that was, but, but Emily and I ended up in Chicago, and I saw Magic Johnson. This was right after, this was right after uh, he'd come out, that it'd come out that he had HIV, and I saw people, man, then people were kind of avoiding Magic Johnson. I said, no, I'm going to shake Magic Johnson's hand. This might be the only opportunity that I get. 
I went over there. I, I shook that big hand. I said, let me, let me just shake his hand. But they thought with a leper, you don't touch a leper. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus reached out and he touched him. Jesus touched him. Jesus broke the protocol. He broke society's, uh, you know, social distancing rule. That was the original social distancing. You don't touch a leper. Jesus said, don't even worry about it. He says, he, it says, I am willing. And he reached out and touched him. It was a deadly disease. But this leper knew exactly what he was doing. He, he had heard that, that Jesus was, do, no doubt that Jesus was doing miracles. I mean, the, the word had gone far and wide, and this guy comes out of nowhere, and in Luke's gospel of this same story, it says he fell down and he begged him. He fell down and he begged him. And when, you, when you're at the end of your rope, when you got, when you got real problems, and you don't, and you, and you're at the, you, you don't have uh, options, some people, they just think they just got options, you know. They can call somebody, they go see another doctor, get another opinion, whatever. But when you don't have options, you put down that cocky attitude. Somebody said that, that it's, it's uh, you know, it's the hardest for somebody that has pride to come to an altar. But you know why? Because their, their pride won't let them give, give their lives to the Lord. And when you're desperate... And you're, you're in, a, in dire straits. You put aside that, that pride and, and you humble yourself. And faith always works like this. It begins with humility. It begins with us recognizing, you know, outside of myself, within myself, I, I don't have anything to offer. I can't do anything. I need help. I mean, it takes, it takes us lowering our pride to say, you know what, I need help. We don't want to ask. I mean, if you're my... my father-in-law before he passed he was a man's man nobody carried his bags he didn't ask anybody for help he did everything on his own that's how a lot of people are they just they, they just they don't want help from anybody it takes some it takes humility to ask for help and when you when you know your condition and you know that no no church service in itself is going to help you all you need is jesus to touch your life that that's where jesus can reach down and do a miracle in your life He said, I know you can heal me if you're willing. You know, his, Jesus' response, he, he didn't give like a, a theological response. Some people, when they're smart, you know, you ever ask people a question and they want to give you a long answer? You ask them a simple question, they give you a long answer. They want to give you theory and they want to give you all the reasons. They're going to mansplain it, they say, you know. They're going to give, they're, they're going to give you the reasons why. Lord, if you're willing... Jesus doesn't give anything. He doesn't, he doesn't get too deep for him. He just says what's necessary. He says, I am willing. You know, when I, I look at that passage in, in that scripture and I think, I am, he's really what he's saying is two things. Number one, I am. That's who he is. He's like giving his name. When Moses is told to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, he says, who should I say is sending me? Remember, he, remember when he's at the burning bush? He's at that burning bush, and he says, and, and, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to go, and I want you to, to tell Pharaoh. He says, who should I say sent me? You tell him, I am. Not just I am. I am that I am. The only I am, right? You tell him, I am sent you. This is the same I am that is in the, in the, in the Old Testament talking to Moses. He's the same I am. You tell him, I am sent you. He says, I am willing. God is willing. 
You don't need a, a deep prayer. You don't need anything fancy. You don't need somebody to explain all the 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 deeper things of, of healing and miracles. It's just Jesus saying, I am willing. And he reached out and he touched him. And you know, proximity in life is important. Being close is important. That's why I love it when we come to the altar. I'm amazed at how many people just can't come to an altar because for, some, for one reason or another. And I say this here, I say it in our church, uh, wherever, because I think it's good to be as close as possible to where God is working. He said, well, well, can't God touch me here? I mean, if he can touch me in church, he can touch me on the golf cart, golf course. And there's a lot of people that do that. I'm just one with the Lord out on the golf course. You know, I don't need to go to church on Sunday because, you know, I'm, I'm with the Lord out there. Somebody said it takes a bold man to make God come to him. I'd rather be in the house of God. And, when I, and proximity is important. So I think, I think we ought to get as close to the altar as possible. I think we ought to come to him. This man got close to Jesus. Could Jesus have touched him? And from way back there, he could have shouted out, Lord, if you're willing. He didn't. He said, I'm going to get close. I'm going to get as close as I can. I'm going to make sure that I'm heard. I'm going to make sure that I'm in the place where he can touch me. And, and he, he got as close as he could. And everywhere I see where people got close to Jesus and asked for a miracle, they got healed and Jesus touched their life. He got close. There was a man, I don't know what it is, one of Dave Ramsey's guys on his radio program. On his podcast, I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to, he wrote a book called The Proximity Principle or something like that. We know what he's talking about, getting around people that, you know, if you want to make money, you get around people that are, that are uh, making money and they, they, they have this, you know, uh, ability and, and getting close to people, being in proximity. You know, there's some truth to that. There's a lot of people that, you know what their proximity is? They, they hang around drug addicts and gossipers and alcoholics, not for the sake of witnessing and preaching to them. That's just their circle. And somebody said, if, if, you, if, you, if your five closest friends are drunks, you'll be the sixth. Right? Have you ever heard that before? If your five closest friends are, are addicted to cigarettes, you'll be the sixth. Because we, it's the proximity. And when we get around people that, that have a, a, a hunger for the things of God, an appetite for the things of God, we get up close to where miracles are taking place. I've seen it where, where the Holy Spirit is just moving and there's, an, there's a, an atmosphere and a climate for God to do something in people's lives. That's what was happening where Jesus was. It wasn't just this leper. It was, he was doing many miracles in that place. But proximity is important. I shared it with the man this morning, James 4, 8. It says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And that means you get close to God, he'll get close to you. I want to be closer, don't you? Sometimes I feel like, you know, people, let me just say that the Christian life and the Christian, your Christian walk is not meant to be uh, uh, this one step forward, two steps back, and this is constantly, we're just kind of, well, am I, am I moving forward? It's meant to be with forward progression. It's meant to be with us making strides, and we're, we're taking advances. That's where the power and the authority and the dominion come into play. 
The devil wants us to be, he wants us to be on our heels. He wants us to be uh, always kind of second-guessing what's happening in church and what God is doing. And we're always second-guessing the things of God instead of advancing. That's where power, authority, and dominion come into play in our Christian life. Offense. Offense. We're taking, we're taking dominion. That's an, that is an act of offense. I don't want to play defense with the devil. Some people are constantly reacting to the situations that are around them. They're always, always reacting. It's like Pastor says. Pastor Jones says that it's, they're like their mind is like a ping pong, uh, a pinball machine. You ever seen a pinball machine? That ball touches. It's just like that's how it is. They're just reacting from problem to problem. But we're not called to be on the defense all the time. We, we're called to be on the offense. We're the ones that, that, that set the pace and tell the devil and, and, and make strides in our Christian walk and take dominion. Jesus says, I am willing. Is God ever not willing? No, he's always willing. And when we start asking God questions, you better get ready because God might start asking you some questions. He must, he, he went, remember when Job, he, Job thought he was going to outsmart God. He says, God, why this and why that? And if you want, go back and read in Job chapter 38. I think it's 38 and 39 or something where, where he, just, he just gives two chapters. He says, where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? And that's how he starts. Then he starts asking him. He says, you think you're so smart, Mr. Big Shot? You think you know everything. Where were you when I did this, that, and the other, and I hung the stars in the sky? And he, he begins to lay it out to him. Listen, you, we are not that smart. What we need to do is fall on the mercy seat of God and fall on his, fall on his good grace and say, Lord, I know who I am, and I know I'm a needy person. And Lord, I need a miracle in my life, and I know that you're the one who can do the miracle. And just like this, this leprous man, he put all his pride down and all of his, all of his own self-will aside, and he said, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. No, oh, ain't nothing fancy about that prayer. Jesus just says, I am willing. And he reached out, and he touched him, and then he says two words, Be healed. Be healed. That's all there is to it. He is willing. Whatever you're facing, whatever, whatever mind battles, whatever uh, sickness is in your body, the doctors have said something and given you an evil report, Wh whoever it is in your family that's facing a, a, a dark moment in their life, stand in proxy for them. I'm believing God for this miracle to take place. He is a God of miracles. He hasn't run out of miracles. The same God working in the book of Acts is working in 2023, and he wants to show himself strong. He wants to demonstrate his power. He wants to work in your situation, but we've got to come to him and allow him and ask him to work in our lives. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads all over this place. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Lord is indeed willing. It says in 2 Peter 3, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord, I tell you tonight, He's willing right now. He's willing to work. He's willing to do a miracle in your situation. 
He tells this man, and our musicians are, are coming. And he tells this man, he says, I want you to go. I don't want you to tell anybody what happened. Go and show yourself to the priest. This man doesn't listen to anything that Jesus says. He goes and tells everybody. He's a witness. Maybe you're here tonight because somebody was a witness. You're here because somebody told you about Jesus. Thank God for those that come and just are brought by a friend, but there's some here, somebody witnessed to you and told you about Jesus. We need to tell somebody what he's done in our lives. The greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of a life that's been changed and been transformed. Tonight, Jesus is going to do miracles in people's lives, but the greatest miracle is the miracle that comes from knowing him as Lord and Savior. And he takes this rotten heart. He takes this broken life. He takes the mistakes and the failures and the, the mess that we've made of our own lives. And he says, you know, if you'll give me your life, he says, I'll begin to make something beautiful out of your life. I'll make something new out of your life. I'll shape you. I'll give you a destiny. I'll transform your home, your marriage, your future. I'll touch your kids. I'll work in your life. That's the greatest thing. And I thank God that he, he does it again and again and again, and we see it in altars. Whenever we preach, thank God for this opportunity. We can make things right before God. You're not too far gone. If you're listening to me right now, you can know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And his mercy. I want to ask how many, while, we're, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and Christians are praying, how many across this place from side to side and front to back would just simply say yes to the Lord? You would, you would say yes to him as he's dealing with your heart. He's, he's convicting you. He's saying, you know what? This sin that's in your life, this thing that you've got going on in, in secret, I'm not pleased with it. You say, tonight, I'm going to make that right before God. I will surrender. I will say yes to him. I need salvation. How many all over this place? You're not born again. You're not right with God, but tonight's your night. You say, count me in. When you pray, pray for me. How many would lift up your hands all over this place? Hold it up high where I can see it. We're going to believe God. We're going to pray. Quickly, raise it up. Raise it up. I see this one. How many more? How many more? Be honest. How many more? Maybe you're backslidden and you're away from God. This is your night. This is your opportunity. Tonight you can come back to the Lord. You say, is he willing? Will he take my life the way it is? Absolutely he will. How many would join these and you say, I need salvation. I want to rededicate my life. I see this hand. Yes. How many more? Be honest before God. Honest hearts. Thank God. Amen. You can put it down. Praise God. We're going to come and make an altar tonight and just come down in this altar and just spend some, some few moments in prayer. Then we're going to pray for the sick. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you, there's some things that are heavy in your heart. Maybe you're wondering, is God willing to touch me? I'm going through this thing and I'm facing something. I, need, I really need to just bring this burden to the altar and give it to the Lord. I, need to, I, don't, I can't carry this thing. 
It says, casting all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. This is an opportunity for us to find a place to pray. Let's all stand in this place. If you lifted your hand or maybe you didn't and you wish you had and you want to come and find a place to pray, would you just come? We're going to open up these altars and then we're going to pray for needs. We're going to pray for the sick here tonight. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.